Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan, Mr. David Bugle, and from the BigKickoff.com, it's Nathan Doyle. With Mo Salah and Harry Kane causing a bit of controversy for the manner of which they gained their penalties for their respective sides, there's been a lot of criticism thrown their way, and in the way football has evolved, really. Dave, you wanted to highlight this. Is it a problem, or is it just forwards needing to go down to get the penalties that won't be given if they don't go down? It's the second bit that's the most important thing to bring up, Roy, because like one of the big, like I know press people are going to maybe have a bit more of a go, but it's more the pros and pundits on TV and commentators during the game. You know, one of the common words that's used for, say, Harry Kane's penalty is he's being clever, or even for Salah, he's being clever. Um, when, yes, technically that is true, but English football was always the last to kind of not accept that that's the way we play the game. Now, we're in our 40s now. I'm a bit unashamed to, uh, to to admit, but it's not the game we're used to, and certainly we don't want to see it. Unfortunately, it is in the game now, but is it one of these where do we have to accept that that's the way it is, or is it something that we can do something about? Because us, the people like us will probably complain about it, and as the press, both the pros or ex-pros who are kind of sitting there now in studios, even this evening, will kind of say they're being clever and they're being... Once the, the contact, people are obsessed with contact. Once there's a contact, yeah, oh, it's penalty. That's grand. It's penalty. But salad was obvious. The contact was there, but it wasn't what really brought him down. We all know what brought him down. Um, and it was the same with Kane. Kane knew what was coming, wait for it, and went down. But blatantly, Trotter got pulled back, and he couldn't make the next step he wanted to make. But it wasn't given as a penalty. So... Should he have just gone to ground? Probably, and he probably would have got it. But it's kind of accepted in the pro game now, and it's accepted by the pros and ex-pros, and I suppose is it something that we need to start rowing in. Well, not rowing in behind, but it's something that we just have to accept now and put up with it, that that's the modern game. Yeah, possibly. Nathan, Tony Cascarino slated Mo Salah, accusing the Liverpool star of insulting Nobby Styles, and, of course, anyone from the 1966 World Cup teams what did you make of the decision? And Casperino wasn't the only one. Danny Murphy was on Match of the Day the other night. Uh, again, he slated it. He said he didn't want to see it in the game. He Again, he talked about how if he didn't go down, he wouldn't get the penalty. But generally, everyone's saying that it's diving, even though there's contact. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's just part of the game there, really, isn't it? As they pushed on. Uh, I'm, I'm not on my phone so I, I know even from, from just, no one likes just a uh, you know <laughs> have to get that out there you know the the the, the on my side but uh, yeah look I can even tell myself it's something that just I've always even grown up in the game watching it and even being a part of football we've always told by managers if you feel a little bit of contact or you, you, you see an opportunity to go down go down and take the penalty and it's just it's something that started to become a part of the game and just in the culture now. And it's just, it's probably really even part of the coaching at this stage. And it's just, it's probably the same as gamesmanship and tactics and in a weird, in a warped sort of a way, which you can clear this or disagree with. For me, a lot, 
and we're talking about uh, here now we're, we're, we're soft enough to be, to be given but I think that's what we just talk it down to is that it's just part of the game these days and you will always hear even on the sidelines up and down the country here at, at, at a youth level giving out the players for maybe not taking five and not taking the bait that it was given to them Dave is this not something that's always been in the game and it's just now the fact that referees are giving them more than they've ever given them before yeah, like, and there's a fair point to that. Look, it's always been around, but I just, as I suppose I alluded to, like, English football was the last to really kind of, not let it in, but to kind of almost accept it. Because if you remember the early days when Ronaldo first came over, like, he was put in his place, not necessarily by uh, the press or the media, by his own team. Like, this is not what you do over here. You don't kind of go down at the slightest touch at this, that, and the other. And he kind of changed his game a little for a while. And he, to be honest, he's not one of the worst defenders even now, and it's probably down to that. But it's just, is that it now? Like, the fact that England, not necessarily bound down to it, but as I said, these are the last league. Is this now something, and I'll never pray, but is it going to get to the point now where whoever gets the penalty, you, you kind of inadvertently say, a job well done? Because, um, I don't know, It's it, it is sad, and yes, there's still a few people out there with criticism, but it's not as loud as it used to be. And like I said, there is the oldest context of the penalty, or he's being clever. It's very half and half. Like tonight, Luke Gailing, it wasn't even close, mate. Um, it was a blatant dive. He felt the tackle was coming. It didn't come. He gets up. The Leicester players go bananas. Um, it goes to VAR, and everyone just plays on, and not, not an eyelid. The ref doesn't even go over and book him. And that's what really annoyed me even tonight, like, because as much as we're going to talk about it, then I see this, and they don't even go and book him. And it's quite obvious from all the angles from VAR. He's not, he's not even within inches, let alone uh, centimetres. And for about the first minute or two, there's not a mention of it from the lads. I think they kind of know it's a dive, Alan Smith and Martin Tyler. Tyler, within about 20 seconds, alludes to the yeah, pitch being a bit slick. And it was like, oh, it, they just moved away from it. Now, I think near the end of the game, um, Alan Smith said, oh, Andre Marner had a good game. And then about 20 seconds later, he slipped in. Well, maybe he he might realise he missed a trick with the Luke Gailey thing because he realised Martin Tyler dead air, not a bat, never said boo. But I'd love to see the attention that that gets maybe later because obviously Salah not being potentially English, like not being potentially, but not being English, is that the ultimate reason why he's going to get the stick? Will Luke Gailey get the same stick? But granted, they didn't get the penalty. Well, his is worse because there's not even a breakfast of a, of a, of a touch. Yeah, so that'll be another interesting I think aspect. it's, Dave, I think it was the fact that Marner got the decision right. It was a brilliant decision from the angle it was, but yeah. didn't punish the diver. You know, and and this is yeah. this is how you stamp it out. And as you said, you know, is it is it a thing because he's English and that you just let it go? But if it was, now, I won't, someone I won't who was in, if, if it was someone, who, yeah, but if it was someone who was renowned for diving, they'd be booked straight yeah, away. True. So, is it benefit of the doubt, or is it just you know, if it's someone who is renowned for it and they get sick and tired of these people, they'll book them quicker. Yeah, that's true, and that is true because like us as fans, I think. When, say, you're watching a sports game with Harry Kane, like, I'm pretty much watching the game for 90 minutes. I can pretty much tell without fail when he's about to go down a couple of seconds before he does. Because he's, it's what he's done for for many a year. And it was the same thing yesterday. It's what he does. He knows it's coming. Sticks the arse out, gets the touch and goes to the ground. Most people will say in the pro game, will say he's being very clever. Will a ref ever stick his neck out and go, I know what you're doing, and I'm going to say no. 
I don't think so nowadays. They, they keep their neck in and, and, and stay away from their headlines. Did Damien Duff not use that as one of his weapons out on the football pitch? The minute he he felt sort of a, a push on, on his back, he collapsed yeah. like a... Well, he claps. Channel, <laughs> there's a million players. You, you can name a hundred players. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying Kane is more obvious in my opinion I, because he does it quite consistently in a game. Or even if I haven't seen him for a month, I know within three seconds or a couple of seconds before it happens, he's waiting for the touch now and he's going to go down, whether it be down the line. It's it's one of his things. But there's hundreds of players and they all do it, so I'm not going to pick on him. Mm. But what I'm saying is it's just accepted and that's the way it is now. And like I said, the use of the word, he was being clever yesterday on, yeah. on the Sky Sports panel. A lot of them were alluding to that, you know. And in fairness, you know, like the most thing that's not going to happen is they're not going to get a penalty. Like, like I said, there's no repercussion coming towards these guys. That's the only way to really stamp it out. If you're going to really want to make a push and try to stamp it out fully, it's just to constantly yeah. have their yellow cards booking, booking, booking and be consistent with it. But you know that's not, that's not the piece. So the worst case scenario is they just get told to stick it up. Punish these guys, you might get some sort of change. Yeah. Do you feel that Harry Kane's he he's been getting a bit of grief off people. Do you feel that Harry Kane's does that wrong with Harry Kane did? He got his body in the way. He he wasn't the one who charged into his own back. I mean it it was a blatant foul. Yeah, it was in fairness. I think it falls down to the reputation really. And like they said, a lot of lads with the reputation of knowing for, for going down very easily. When I was looking at even the Champions League as someone like Neymar. But then also we had a look at something like Trent in the Premier League. These are guys that you know are going to go down at the slightest bit of contact. So I think, I think sometimes it can sort of be a bit of a disadvantage of someone like Kane when they are brought down. It's always going to be under that little bit more scrutiny because they do have some sort of reputation for going down, going down at a slight little bit of a touch. Yeah, I uh, think the reason why it's the attention, Roy, is it is his common move. It's the air out, and then he throws it up in the air once he gets the touch. But in it, ironically, in this instance, even if he had a stuff still, Lalana probably would have clapped it. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. So it's a bit of a weird one in this instance, but it's just a demo move. But in fairness, as you mentioned, like even though remember Heskey, the size of that guy, and he used to go down so easy. Like yeah. so, it's not, it's not uh, new news. It's just potentially more accepted news and it's something that we have to toe the line with as well now in fairness Shannon probably the reason why it's annoying me more is because I watch rugby at the weekend and you kind of go geez this football they're awful soft but you know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, do you think that because of VAR now that everything is that much more scrutinised possibly without a shadow of a doubt like sure I, I did it now like Mariner made the right call and didn't give the penalty but in my mind it's like go get the man who tried to blatantly get a penalty mm. and I'm giving out about him, even though he technically made the right decision but if he thought in the middle of that game that he died well why can't you blow the whistle and give him a booking in the first place yeah. so I suppose that's where the extra scrutiny we should be tipping our caps but at the same time I'm giving out because he didn't book him yeah and I so, think, yeah, and I think I, we've I, been we've been looking at this a long time Dave because it's not just now it's this is years upon yeah. years of us looking for divers to be, you know, punished and punished badly, and it doesn't seem to doesn't seem to register in the, the lawmakers' eyes. No. They have the yellow card. Yeah. it's not always used. If it was always used, there probably at the moment would be, yeah, 
three or four players every game who'd be getting booked for, for diving. You know, someone places a hand on someone's face by accident or whatever and they're rolling around or on their chest and they're rolling around holding their face. That sort of stuff has to be stamped out. And what they're doing now is they're really... They're, they're, they're allowing cheating to be part of the game and, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're fueling that fire. I think that's the ultimate problem and that's what I think the, the major topic that we're trying to bring up here, it's almost, I'm not saying it's 100% accepted, but it's, it's slowly becoming commonplace. And as you said, that's another blatant one there where the hands are only near the neck, they're not even on the neck and they grab their face and drop to the ground and there's nothing said, there's nothing done. Or if anything, the guy who allegedly space got touched the other guy gets uh, gets the book and then it's it's unfortunately looking more and more likely that it's that's been accepted and that's why I alluded to it when I was I was, I was texting earlier on is it and it's potentially killing the art of defending because you see centre halves now where you're going why aren't you kind of doing the Colin Henry or the John Terry sliding block because they're probably afraid to get too close in case they catch them and get their first booking too early and defending is becoming more stand on your feet and less and less contact considering it's a contact sport and I'm just wondering like obviously McGuire's getting a bit of stick and, and defences in general are getting plenty of stick this year because they're conceding goals left right and centre but I'm just wondering is there an element of where guys are staying on their feet more and not really using the physical attributes that centre halves would tend to have because like I said to you in the text earlier I think McGuire is potentially an old school type of Centre half, where in the nineties and eighties, I think he probably would have slotted in no problem. Well, nowadays his potential physical side of the game is not accepted, and you've seen the two easy bookings because he was a bit slow and off the pace against Denmark, and he missed the tackle. Or maybe that's the type of tackle I don't watch enough of him, but I'm just saying I'm using him as an excuse because he's getting plenty of stick. But is he the type of defender that can't adapt to this now potential accepted way of playing, which is the dive? Yeah, it's it's like a, it, you're correct. It's like a, a non-contact kind of defending yeah. now that they have to do, and not only that, they have to have their their hands shoved up their backsides now so they don't give away penalties. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so it's not an easy. It, as you said, it's killing defending, and yeah. I, I don't know. I, it feels like they're slowly killing the game by changing it completely different to what it used to be between the defending that we're talking about and then even with the attacking with the offside rule that if you're yeah. the hair on the on, on the back of your head is offside you're, you're offside or whatever you know it's just it, yeah. it seems to be changing a lot and I think there's a lot of frustration uh, and I, I heard Tony Cascarino said listen I'm, I'll be uh, called Cassasaurus again here for, for giving out but he, <laughs> he, he said uh, he says I just uh, if the game's like this you know, in another six, seven years, I might not watch football and I might just sound like an old man giving out. But, you know, yeah. I'm 30 years younger than them or whatever it is. I feel the exact same way. It just feels like it's going yeah. that way, that it's not as, I don't know, free flown or as entertaining as it used to be. I very rarely watch a, ni- a full 90 minutes of football if it's not Liverpool or Ireland anymore. I really struggle because within 20 minutes, it's as you said, it's not free flowing, or there's messing, there's carry on, um, or there's a, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, you know yourself. I can go through all the, the stuff that's going on at the minute, but it's very, or I find myself looking through the phone or on the tablet, and it's just in the background now. I don't really watch the games with the same intent because, well, maybe it's because there's too much coverage, but I think it's ultimately down to the way the game is being played now, and it, it's not fun. It's not as much fun as it 
it has been, in my opinion. And um, and I think certainly our generation at all are, are, are all feeling that way. And uh, are we just going to be there? It's going to be a completely different podcast in a couple of years, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll leave that one there. Uh, Manchester United in Oliver Gunnar Solskjaer's 100 managerial game with the club lost their third Premier League game this season against Arsenal at the weekend and it leaves them without a win at home for their last four Premier League games. They now find themselves 10 points off the league leaders Liverpool and in 15 position. Nathan, if Solskjaer or was it any other big European club with that sort of start? Would he still be in a job? Yeah, you'd find it hard to really believe, wouldn't you? If he was that, if, like you said, if that, like if, if, I'm not just United, that would be a major club in world football. But if you was that someone like the boy in Munich, for example, you'd find it hard to him staying in the position. In fairness to Arsenal on the day, I thought he was absolutely fantastic and he well deserved the win. Uh, particularly for me, I'm a part day, really uh, ran the show in the middle of the park for Arsenal. He broke everything down that you know you had going and you were well deserved. It was such a well oiled machine and all credit to Mick Ellard. He's done out fantastically well and like, like I said, he's well deserved the win. And you just look now, uh, it was soon to be another false dawn at Manchester United, which has been a big thing of, uh, of the 100 games of Solskjaer have been in church. Like, you had three performances against PSG and uh, Leipzig in the Champions League. And uh, once again, you're starting to think, God, oh, like, maybe we're starting to get together, you know. We tried out this new diamond formation that's starting to come into the, into the system now. Is this the way forward? It's starting to be able to accommodate all the attacking midfielders uh, in the side. And then they go out here when they completely lack luster against Arsenal. And it's just, again, it's just more deflation and just more disappointment. Yeah, Dave. You love a stat and you, you, you wanted to share a comparison with the first 100 games that Klopp had with Liverpool. So, shoot. Yeah, yeah, it was sent on to me uh, today by an actual fellow scouser. And apart from one stat, it's all kind of facts and false shared favour, so to speak. Now, obviously, uh, there are different sides at the minute where United aren't necessarily going for a league title or anything like that. But still, like, they both played 100 games, so to speak. Uh, false share 156, Klopp 150. Um, uh, Solskjaer only Solskjaer's lost 24 to Klopp's 21 obviously 20 draws for Solskjaer 29 for Klopp he scored 4 goals more in the 100 games 186 to 182 he conceded 4 less um, points per game if you gave 3 points a win for all competitions and um, United would have had 188 compared to Klopp's 150 now the Premier League is where it's a little different it's 113 points for, uh, for Solskjaer 125 for Klopp and then, obviously, overall win percentage is fairly straightforward. 56% for Solskjaer, 50% for club. I know stats are stats. They can hide a little bit. Um, but, you know, ultimately, uh, as I slag my mate, uh, he is the United boys in one of the WhatsApp groups. It's like the hokey Toki at the minute. Is it all in or all out? Because it's just one minute. They they love him. And then, like, they loved him Wednesday. And then last night, he's getting absolutely smashed. I was like, will you make up your mind? But in fairness, I, I I can see why they'd be frustrated. But um, it was very interesting after the game yesterday when he's given it, he's giving praise almost to the team. Like, oh, they'll be hurting. They're a good bunch of lads, you know. They won't, you know, they'll be disappointed. They'll be this, and you're like, well, I didn't see it in the ninety minutes of the game that that's the type of players they are. Uh, some of them are seriously lacking in the court. The one who got the biggest stick of all was Mr. Pogba. But there's definitely some players who aren't matching the attitude that. Solskjaer was alluded to because you can tell me in more detail but 
there was it was more than just Pogba who was disappointing and not showing that type of characteristic that he's claiming to say they have. Yeah, uh, the, since he became permanent manager, Solskjaer has fifty-five less points than Liverpool, and he's also well, below Leicester, Wolves, and Spurs for points. So sometimes it kind of, especially in in, in recent times, when he took the job, it, it, it and at the moment, Nathan, their fifteenth position. That's a stat that is the biggest stat of all. Yeah, like like you said, like it's just fast. You can sort of hide behind them, and you can literally sometimes you can also be in your benefit. You can bulge up a little bit, but just look like you said, looking at the league table, it's it's just hasn't a good look this season at all. Just Manchester United side that had high hopes for Champions League football to get into the top four again this season, but you look at like obviously look at Liverpool, the Man City's Arsenal are going to be there, but Everton are doing well this season. Tottenham will be up there, so all of a sudden. Oh, it's, it's looking like a big ask already. I know there's a lot of football to be played, but sorry, disappointing. And like I said, it's, it's just been a lot of false dawns coming in and just been let down once again. And the game against Arsenal was just a huge, just a huge blow for a lot of people coming off the back of one of the best home Champions League performances I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, and when you look at what he got toured last year with Manchester United, which was a brilliant result, really. When you look at the the way the season has started, but then if you look at it a little bit closer, Leicester City really fell apart, and it it wasn't it was more Leicester losing it than Manchester United getting that third position. I suppose off their own back. I mean, if Leicester had put the kind of form that they had uh, at the start of the season, or even half of that. They would have taken that Champions League spot, and you know it would have been drifting. And and he can't go every season like he is again this season, trying to come back from 10, 15 points. It's just not going to work. So, is what can you put? What can you put the finger on when you look at the team? What what is it there that's that's the problem? Keane was given out about the manager is going to get sacked because of the players. Is a a bit of both. Is the manager is manager doing the job that's needed? The, are, are the players doing what they could do? What what do you reckon? Um, everyone always has to take a share of the blame. I think personally for the Arsenal game in particular, I think a lot of the blame for me would fall down to the players. I think they can't motivate for these big games, which is a big game, and forget about the empty stadium and everything. If you can't motivate motivate yourself for these games, there's something seriously lacking with you as a player. Manchester United might have to fill a big game. It doesn't matter uh, what, what end of the, the table they're on. It's still two big rivals with a lot of history of the year. So for me, the one there was definitely on the players. But I think at the fourth of 100 games, still, like I say, he's trying to introduce this tournament formation now in the midfield. And it still seems to be a lack of... He has knows the identity he wants to go with and he knows where the the formation and the style that he wants to go with. He's seeming now that the diamond formation in the midfield seems to be trying to in everybody, fit in the likes of Pogba, Hernandez, Fred is doing okay this season and like Johnny Van Der Beek can't get a look in in the Premier League for love no money. So I think it's trying to walk around other people instead of other people walking around the formation he wants to go with. And it does seem to be a clear there's just no clear like 
Tyler Formation that is 100 cents set on and this is 100 games in this should be things that should be well for now. We looked at that formation it's a 4-4-2 it's a, it's, a it's a diamond formation so you have uh, one of the best rifles uh, in the league for defending 1v1s just generally he's a, he's a good defender is Wambasaka. Yep. But he's uh, he's very poor going forward. He, he's not he's not good at crossing the ball. He's not good at taking on a player. And in a four four two diamond, he is your right fullback and he is your right winger. And if you're looking for service on the, from the right hand side from Wambasaka, you're not going to get it. So is this t- thought through at all? Especially is it just to try and fit in more midfielders that he has an abundance of and he can't even fit the one the latest one he's brought in for 40 million it seems a bit of a shambles to me it does it seems strange like I said like, my, like I fully convinced the only game with this diamond in the field just to fit in all these guys and we were talking about the guy spending just earlier and we're I agree for me Randall Sacker is one of the best uh, right back like, spenders in the league but going forward, it's non-existent. That's what you need in your modern-day fullback, which is changing the way. Like, we all go on about, I probably agree, we all go on about Trent Alexander-Arnold. It's fantastic going forward. and living with the ball. But it's defensive teams at times are seriously lacking. And it's sort of the opposite way around with Lambert-Sackett. He, he won, like I said, uh, when they're coming up against someone 1v1, I'd have I'd, to be no better man I'd rather have in that position as a Manchester United defender. Lambert-Sackett, I think, he's brilliant in that position at 1v1. But just going forward, it's non-existent, and it's it's really on show now since he switched it. Like I said, he's, he's the one that they're looking forward to deliver these crosses in, and he's acting as a winner at this stage. And he's seriously lacking out there, and it's starting to really show. And the fact to look bad on him, that it's very evident that he's, he's going to get no help out and out with it. And with you should be literally trying to trying to hide your players' um, his bad sides and try to emphasise the good sides, and it's just. Solskjaer's doing someone like Wambasaka no favours going with this diamond formation in the midfield. Especially when, I know we haven't seen much of them, but Tellez on the left-hand side seen against PSG. Like that lad can, can whip a ball in like it's nobody's business. So he's really going to get outshined in that department uh, when Tellez does come back from COVID and he starts to get a good run in the team. And it wasn't, it wasn't just on the right-hand side, it was on the left-hand side as well because Shaw got the ball I don't know how many times on the left hand side just around the halfway line and he'd look forward to play a pass and there was no one there because there was no winger there is no width when you have a diamond and he had to look to play it in midfield where it's congested and they're losing the ball or he had to go back with it so Dave when you look at Manchester United and you look you're, you're talking about I, I know you're bringing up the stats and the stats aren't that bad but he should have a set shape. He should have a set formation. Klopp has the same formation. He doesn't change the formation. The players come in, they slot them in. That's it. You know, everyone knows their job. How can someone, Shaw, say Luke Shaw, get a ball uh, one game, look to play a ball down the line, uh, have someone there. The next game, then not have someone there. And he's chopped and changed his formation from... Three five two to a four four two diamond to a four two three one. He doesn't. He doesn't really know what he's what he's really up to, does he? As yeah. in his shape. Uh, what I was, uh, yeah, I'd have to say yes. But you know, this is just a bit of a curveball, and I expect you to, to to finish it off. But since Ferguson has left, like 
which manager has really kind of brought in the players he's wanted and played the way he's wanted and is it necessarily the manager's fault because Mourinho seemed to be let down by who he wanted to Solskjaer seemed to be let down by some players he wanted uh, Van Gaal not so sure he fought, early, he fought big early which kind of unfortunately blew up Moyes wasn't really let too much and I'm just wondering is, is that an element as well and is that why Solskjaer is looking because it's not necessarily his team Van de Beek he, I'm not saying he's not interested in him but he's certainly not willing to give him much game time considering they spent over 40 odd million on him um, so I'm not defending him by the way I'm just wondering is there a bit of an element of that the way the club is actually being run as well because you know a lot of the players that have come in maybe potentially apart from Tellis are really his I think Cavani's just he was there and he was free and we need another option up front but is that who we really would have wanted I would say no so maybe that's why it's so disjointed and why there is so many changes because he is trying to make the best of what he's got even though he mightn't um, have had all the say on that and that's just a potential or to maybe make you think or maybe agree or disagree or maybe see that there's a slight element of it but that's just somebody from the outside that I think there is an element of that. Yeah, I think we've said that before. I think we've said we don't, especially with Van de Beek coming in, can't be his player. If it was his player and he really wanted him in that badly, and there's talk that he convinced him to come, which is part of his job to convince players to come. But that doesn't mean that that's the player that he really wanted in. The club have had brought in players. You look at Carvani, why bring Carvani in? They they brought Gallo in uh, during the summer, you know, again, they they brought in a, an extra a loan period and he's nowhere to be seen. So someone who holds up a ball and uh, brings people into play, he's not being seen now. And someone else has been brought in, Carvani, to do the exact same job. And he doesn't get a look in on the team either. So I, I totally agree. I think there's, there's definitely that sort of thing at play. I can't see that all these are Solskjaer's. But on the other side, Dave, what about... Paul Pogba then if if someone's not doing a job for you then why is he playing like Troy Deeney was defending today Paul Pogba saying people are jumping down his throat when he plays one bad game but when Fernandez has a poor game which he did he, he wasn't really there in that game uh, nothing was said about his performance but that's a poor argument isn't it especially since Pogba hasn't been anywhere near the impact that Fernandez ha- has had and he's been there about three years longer exactly and everyone's allowed a bit of a poor game and you know, Deeney was getting a bit of stick today about another argument he had with a with a journalist that was a bit silly because of this piece he going his way. So he kind of made it a bit playground as well. So I wouldn't, as refreshing as it is to hear some of his stuff, some of it's a bit like, all right, you're just trying to be controversial here. And I, I'd have to agree with you. This one is a bit of a lame excuse. Pogba, without having the extreme expertise, of, say, you're like yourself, but certainly from the... The, the gauge of listening to a lot of my mates who United fans have had nothing but bad to say about him over the last year consistently to say stuff along the lines of he's a fraud and he's really he's killing us he's kidding us and he hasn't shown the performances that you would expect a player who he came in with a massive stature and is regarded or would have been regarded as a star name and a superstar player but it seems to be on reputation alone but not on what he does on the pitch and um, I think that's the problem. People, maybe he wasn't that type of player, but for some reason his reputation is far bigger than what I've seen on the field. I've never seen, even with France, you know, you're with good players, it's easy to kind of 
get in around that. But I don't think he was the driving force behind that. So, but Juventus, not a clue. They didn't see enough of you, but Juve, not a clue. They, they didn't feature too much at the end of in Europe for me to notice whether he was the driving force behind them. Um, and obviously we know why he left in the first place because he obviously wanted to be a big star somewhere else because he didn't seem to be getting what he really wanted from Alex Ferguson. So, and he's, and he's shown them kind of side to him again. He seems to turn it on when he feels like it and the, the level of consistency is not there. And, you know, just a quick little rob of what Roy Keane said yesterday. It's, it's, it's characters. There's a distinct lack of characters and he'd be looked at as potentially one of the main characters you'd want to see. And I'd say he does have an influence on some people and certainly the wrong influence, in my opinion. Nathan, we'll finish with you. They have Everton next week, which is not going to be an easy game, although Everton are struggling a little bit as their their first 11 are a hell of a lot better than their second 11 and anyone's coming in isn't doing exactly the job that the, the, the starters would do. So for Manchester United side of things, you're hoping that there's that there's players out there. Um, how... How does Solskjaer save his job? Because he is under pressure. Make no bones about it. He is under pressure. He can do all he wants in the Champions League. And listen, I want Solskjaer to do really well. 100% I want him to do really well. But there's an inconsistency that's there. And he's trying to play the right football and he's trying to do the right things. But you have to, sometimes you have to be, you know, you can't be Mr. Nice all the time. You can't tell everyone that they're doing brilliant. You do have to actually... Uh, it, you can do it in, in, in a, a, you know, to say a passive aggressive way, leave people out, don't play them. And, you know, there's certain t- players there who, who need to be, there's, and there's not many. This is the thing. I don't think there's many, but he needs to settle his, his team down and, and know their positions, know his best 11, know his, his best formation. What does he do to keep his job between now and he always seems to get these three or four results in a row then that, that keep, saves, yeah. sa- sa- has saved his job. Um, he, he could very well go on and, and, and be successful and I hope he is but what does he have to do to, to, to make sure that he has that chance? Yeah, first of all, I do agree. I, I'd like to see him be successful and I've said it a lot of times in this show that I'd never come on and just mock him and just without having justified reasons like like Dave said like a lot of United fans change that opinion every week with Ole in Ole out and like since they in I think he offers a lot of good to the club since like you look at like the likes of Van Gaal and Jose Mourinho uh, the style of play on the stand was just hard to watch so since Solskjaer's come in there's some games I've watched and I'm actually enjoying watching Manchester United play but the key job I think a lot of it will fall down to getting Champions League football next season whether that be getting us the top for this year, or you never know, there could be a stage in this season that we see him possibly, I don't know what you agree, but possibly prioritising the Champions League this season as the main way to probably get in next season. Now, I'm not saying you know they're going to win the Champions League this season. I don't think that in a million years, but I think there could come a stage, Manchester United has been struggling to get into the top four this season. He will start to prioritise the Champions League over the Premier League. So, for me, he really will be judged on that whether he gets the Champions League football for next season or not because like I said there's not a good we've seen that uh, the style of play is improving there's players like uh, Mason Greenwood that really flourish under him he's turned he has the potential to be, to be a great uh, long term player for Manchester United but I think he's under a serious amount of pressure if he doesn't uh, provide Champions League football next season for Manchester United Okay, we're going to leave it there. Just yeah, there's definitely a lot of pressure, and with Pochettino on Monday Night Football tonight, 
giving all the thumbs up and the nods and the little winks and yeah, he, he's ready to take over. Uh, Ali, oh, yeah. uh, Ali Gunnar really needs to uh, settle his side down and, and get everyone reading from the same page because that definitely isn't happening. Okay, Dave, the mystery of the top goal scorer of all time. I'm intrigued. This is not a mystery that people have been talking about. This is just something that you brushed over and, uh, well, what have you found? Yeah, there was a kind of, I don't know whether it was a neat game or whatever, but I was scrolling through uh, one of the social media sites and I was like, now that it's getting closer and having to talk about it, I'm kind of like, maybe that's not what it said. And the fact that it showed me eight, maybe that maybe I'm just an old man who's only speaking up what I feel like. But it, 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 the headline was along the lines of the only five or six goals left to be the all-time record goal scorer in an official game. Because obviously we know Pele has scored over a 1,000 goals, but in official game, he scored 767 goals in 831 matches. And Cristiano Ronaldo is only five goals behind him. But if, when I looked at it today, just to kind of get the exact details so I could have it ready, it turns out that he is fourth at the moment. Uh, now, what I'll say is, when I looked into it, there's about three or four different lists where Pele is number one in one of them, where Mario is number one in one of them. And then there's this guy called Joseph Bichan, or Bichan, who is the number one in the most. So he, that's the list that comes up the most, where he is number one. Then Romario, Pele, and Ronaldo. Ronaldo has 762 goals. Uh, Pele has 767, so he's five behind him, and only 10 behind Romario. But this guy, Joseph Bichan, has 805 plus. Now, the reason why there's 805 plus because there's records that they're missing for a stint that he had in second division football. So when I say official goals, it's official league games, cup games, international, even underage international matches. And it's based on uh, research by the, it's RBC DOF, so I don't know what the, what's the short for, Sports Soccer Statistics Foundation. And it's only those who are active at the highest level of football for most of their careers are considered. And the ranking below takes into account goals scored and official matches played with the national teams and clubs in all divisions. So maybe the headline wasn't quite what I thought, but he's only five behind Pele. That alone deserves a little tip of the cap and shows just how impressive Ronaldo and even Messi, because he's not a million miles behind. He's on 735 goals, which means he is 27 behind Ronaldo and potentially another couple of years maybe more than Ronaldo but although Ronaldo is definitely looking after himself so I would not be surprised within the next season or two Ronaldo will be the all-time league goal scorer unless Messi decides to do something about it so it's impressive all the way but if I can just quickly go into this Joseph Seagang because I've never heard of him did any of you guys ever hear of him? I, I'm just looking at his stuff no. here now <laughs> come on you go through yeah it's seriously impressive uh, he has as I said 805 plus goals and there's a couple missing from record when he played in second division in Czech Republic. But uh, he's a Czech, he played for both Czechoslovakia and Austria, so obviously eligibility rules were a little bit uh, looser back in the day. And he also played for a regional team, uh, which was Bohemia and Moravia, and they played against Nazi Germany in 1939. So uh, basically the majority of his goals came from Slavia Prague, and obviously uh, a couple of uh, different clubs in both Austria and Czechoslovakia. But he, what is the last that I want to say? He was given a Medal of Honor when it obviously came to fruition who he was in by the International uh, Federation of Football History and Statistics back in, two, uh, in 1998. And then in 2000, from the same group, they awarded him the Golden Ball as the greatest goal scorer of the 20th century. 
there you have it Joseph Beacan or Beacan yeah, it says here he scored 556 goals in 303 official games for Slavia Prague. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's 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 a lot of goals. Um, uh, it's a long, long time ago. So, uh, I'm not dis- yeah. I'm not discounting them. But uh, it says also here yeah. that he was able to he could do his two feet at considerable pace and was able to run 100 meters in 10.8 seconds. So. 10.8 seconds. Yeah. And back in that day, back then, that is that is close to probably getting to an Olympic final averages would have been, he would have been there thereabouts uh, for a decent track and field uh, career as well yeah 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 and did you ever see them black and white pictures they run fast in them they do they run that's fast that's it they like going <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so it's not resolved so is, is what you're saying and how did they know if he's going to beat him if he gets to 806 has he beaten them yeah, there's, there's the asterisk, you know, the famous asterisk, a bit like the Pro League title last year. Will that be the case? Because uh, Ferenc Pushkas has something similar. So um, he has 70, 746 plus. Uh, and then another, like it seems to be around the war era where, let's just say, the records were missing for obvious reasons. But uh, it's, yeah, well, yeah, whatever. I don't know. Let's put it this way I'll recognise him. If he gets 806, I will recognise it. And he will. And if not, Messi will. So. It's just another nod to the two lads to just how impressive they are in this modern day year. Uh, it's just ridiculous. It's seriously impressive because if you look at the say the top fifteen, it's all. Oh, actually, Ibrahimovic is in there. He's on number eleven, so a good nod to him to be in there because it's predominantly guys back in the twenties, thirties, and fifties who are in the top fifteen, apart from them three. So credit where credit's due. Is Ali Dai in there? Is that just international goals? <laughs> That's just international. Yeah. Uh, Robert Lewandowski sneaks in on at twenty-eight. After that, then, as I said, it's very much a lot of thirties, forties, and fifties, and then there's a few guys in the seventies. But yeah, uh, there's a Scottish player called Jimmy McGrory. Not a clue who he is. Between nineteen twenty-two and nineteen thirty-eight, he's fifteenth of five hundred and fifty, just two behind the great Eusebio. So there you go. There you go. Fernandez will be up there. He'll be about 600 penos, I'd say, now, probably at the end of his career. A guy called Roberto Dynamite from Brazil at number 26. What a name. <laughs> oh, you heard of that one? What a... <laughs> okay. Can I ask you something? When did it become the pain to hate Pele? Like, you log on to any online forum, to anything on the internet, you mentioned Pele. And it's not never nothing been talking about him being the greatest player that ever lived or this fantastic goal scoring record. Just everyone slating the guy and call him a fraud and a cheat. And when did that when did that happen? When did Pele become such a, a pantomime villain in the world of football? I'm gonna blame the youth channel on this. Like I, 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 I'm not in them circles. Yeah, is it us? Is it us? Is what is it? We yeah, I'm not in if if you're not on, if you're not on YouTube, you don't matter. I think that's probably what it is. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, like yeah, I, I, I like me a bit of Pele, but I can't even like I, even Andy Mate. Like, wasn't even it, he wasn't even a dopey caught when Pele was playing. And oh, you're fraud! Oh, you're this and stuff. How do you know? Like Trap was probably like <laughs> unbelievable to watch. And all of a sudden, just anyone in that mid twenties hates Pele. Oh, it's not only that. Just wanted to see him, especially 
generational team. I was just that's just your ma- that's just your game. mates. If you didn't play in the League of Ireland, forget about it. You never made it. <laughs> that's all it was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, mate. Yeah, mate. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's, that's what it is. Pele, Pele needed a bit of a run with Athlone County. Yeah. Right, we'll move on to the, the Scottish Premier League, and Celtic are struggling in their chase for a ten in a row challenge. Uh, 11 points off Rangers at the moment struggling even the other night they played Lille 2-0 up got back to 2-all Lille did and uh, not quite the same force that they have been but then again they have to keep selling their best players and trying to keep replacing them so Nathan your question is would sacking Lennon be the right call and who would replace him let you start on it yeah it's a telecom one this isn't it like they're like I said, they're chasing the, the ten in the row and there's a lot of situation around uh, around Celtic at the moment. Like I know you know some Celtic fans yourself and that's all the same to saying is that the right call would be to sack him. Um, it is a tough one because I'm in such a delicate spot where if he brings somebody in, there has to be an instant, instant turnover um, of form and an instant turnover of fortune. Like you think someone like Martin O'Neill and Steve Clark they are going to be mentioned with the job and Probably is the most exciting appointment in the world, but they will be close to probably steady the ship or saying Henrik Larson being mentioned, which for me is just, just no, that's just disaster waiting to happen. Like he's probably happy where he is at the moment at Barcelona, he's pretty new to the managerial sort of things, and to have him go in, I think I know like, the FDA, I'll get a bit of a bad rub for being not the most competitive league in the world. I can't say myself, I'm not the biggest FDL fan myself, so I think. Well, like Larson the Green, there'd be a lot expected of him. He'd be expected to deliver that that, that league title. But they're looking at people out of work at the moment, and it's Celtic Watt, Neil Lennon. I think, for me, Eddie Howe could be the best bet you know, to go in and, and deliver and to, to, to get Celtic back on form because you've seen him perform and he's a brilliant manager and you know, he's, 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 he's hit with any time the England job comes up the future. So, for me, it's, it's both parties of Celtic if you do sack Lennon and you do get Eddie Howe in uh, I don't like, at the moment it's not going to happen but if you do get him in they're getting him as a great manager that's had plenty of experience now in the Premier League and Eddie Howe he's going to go up to a club in Celtic that has some sort of European football on a regular basis and he has a decent bunch to play around with but yeah it's a point to call if you should sack Lennon or not because it really is a delicate phase in the season like I said, um, they were a couple, a couple of games for phone at the start of the season and we did a little range just to start to build a bit of a gap in the table. And like, they had a decent win of the weekend against Aberdeen, but besides that, like, they lost the offer in Derby, they lost 3-1 to AC Milan, the Europa League, they conceded uh, a late ball against Aberdeen in the league to, to pull a 3 all draw from that game. And then, as you mentioned, they gave away a 2-0 win, a 2-0 uh, lead against Lille in the Europa League to come back to 2 all. So, you can see the frustration start. The, the results even there in the past week or so just haven't been good enough for Celtic. Dave, he came in, he, he's done a good job, he's won the title. It'd be harsh to let Neil Lennon go, especially now as the season's only really started. There's uh, They've only got a handful of games uh, I think it's is it ten games now they've played eleven may, no eleven maybe I think they've won eight drawn two and lost one. It's not a it's not a disaster of a record if they win their games in hand. I think they may be a point or two points behind. So two points behind. So 
it wouldn't it, it's not necessarily the worst start ever no it'd be harsh wouldn't it and they, yeah, at the moment I would definitely say that it's just as, as soon as he said a yell and oh geez yeah get rid of him because geez he'd be great but get rid, get rid of that for a second but I think it would be harsh because I think in the last month alone they have been hit with a fair few injuries and over the last month they have been without Edward Christie Julian Forrest Beaton and Hatton Ab El Hamed and only Julian and Forrest are, are, are still unavailable they kind of clicked a little bit better yesterday because they got rid of the 3.2 which was clearly not working and went back to a, a 4-2-3-1 Diego Laxalt is in there freeing up El Yanusi a little bit I'm not saying they turned the corner in one game but Lennon has realised there's issues and he's he made a change and it's worked so it'll be interesting to see if that's uh, what potentially could galvanise and keep them going because to be honest I think they only have to stick with Rangers really to the second half of the season because that's when the pressure like there'll be pressure on both because to get 10 in a row is massive but Rangers crumbled when it got to the business end of the season last year it'll be very interesting to see if that was, that's going to be backing them again because it's, at the end of the day it's, it's, I don't like to say it but it's in their manager's mentality to, to slip so there's every chance it can happen again. I just think Celtic just have to stay there, thereabouts, while they're in this transition of getting the guys back off the treatment table and potentially this new 4 2 3 one kicks in. So maybe a little bit too early to pull the trigger. But as I said, that Eddie Howe uh, show is, is very enticing, but not enough for me just yet. Yeah, and when you look at Lille, Lille are second in the league on... Yeah. You know, 19 points, two points behind Paris Saint-Germain. They haven't been beaten this year in the in the nine games that they've played. So, and the other point you've made well, Dave, is that Rangers have improved a hell of a lot over the last couple of years. And Gerard has done a decent job with them, albeit now he has to win something. Otherwise, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter a damn. But Nathan, come Christmas time, maybe January, do you think, do you realistically think that they would think about changing or... Um, would they let it go through the season? Um, yeah, I think if they're going to change, that's probably more of a realistic time frame to do it. Like I said, like I think it will now be this change is a bit of a delicate, sort of in a delicate position now in the season with the games in hand. And to, to make a last decision at the moment probably wouldn't make the most sense because, like I said, you're going to need somebody to come in and make an instant impact. And if you can't do that, then it's just a clear one anyway. So you might as well give Lennon a little bit more time. Like obviously what he's doing at Celtic on the pitch is, is, is known. Even as a manager, he's been successful at Celtic. So I think he deserves the benefit of the deal even up to Christmas time to see can he improve on the, on the results and turn things around and to pick up a couple of wins and then games in hand. Because if he goes all of a sudden, he's a lot closer and things aren't as, as sweaty as they are now because they'd hate to lose that 10 in a row title to a bit of rivals. But I think it's it's a case now it looks bad but it can't be a situation that can be turned around uh, quickly enough yeah and sure Celtic and Rangers play each other about 25 times in the season so there's definitely <laughs> yeah. time to, to, co- to come back there so yeah we, we'll leave that one on the shelf and we'll talk about that in January if anything else has changed okay I think we'll leave that there. Dave, thanks very much for uh, coming on again, as always. Uh, Nathan, have a look at some of Nathan's stuff on thebigkickoff.com. Uh, really good stuff. And, of course, not only this podcast, but we have a rugby, tennis, um, and League of Ireland, and 
what is the other cricket if you like your cricket have a look for the to be kick off uh, podcasts on everything apple podcasts spotify tune in soundcloud and really wherever else you get your podcasts good night <laughs>